uh, talk about these questions uh, round your tables. Um, first of all, what needs, I mean, we're, we are looking at, at sex tonight, the issue, the reality of sex, and uh, not just, you know, doing it, but uh, everything. So um, what needs to be the church's priority on the subject of sex? What needs to be the church's priority? And I don't mean First Baptist Church San Antonio, but I, I do. We do include this church, but I mean the church worldwide church. And second, how has the church done in helping you deal with the sexual dimension of life? Give it a grade uh, and talk about that. Uh, talk about these two questions. If we need to make it, if we need to extend it, make it longer. Uh, and last more weeks than that, that's fine. But um, we do have a lot of ground to cover tonight on this. And let me just say right off that um, these midweek in the city is is prefaced on and based on the asking of questions, and I mean for everybody. Uh, it's not it's not a talking head of how you ought to think. It is uh, based on questions that everybody needs to ask. And um, these, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. And so, and I've said this many times before, but some people, you know, are, are new to Midweek in the City. And so, um, it's, questions are the way that the universe, uh, that, we, that we make our way in the universe. This is what Jesus said, uh, ask and uh you will be answered. You know, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. And <coughs> what Jesus is saying is that he's saying that we, it, it's good to inquire because we don't know uh, most things. And this is the way conversations get started. And the Lord desires then, uh, just because he, he shows us this by when, when Jesus said this, he desires to have a conversational life with us. And so that's what Midweek in the City is about. And with, in particular, with regard to um, the sexual nature of, of human beings, um, I am still learning uh, about what this means. There was a, a time in my life when I, because I knew, um, you know, the biological functions of people and I knew uh, that you weren't supposed to, you know, as I grew up in, in, in the just the most simplistic way of saying um, what was always taught to me, uh, you, you don't have sex until you're married. I thought that was all there was to know about sex, that, that there was some biology involved and the, you don't, do it until you're married. Um, and then I, I, you know, I like to think I was a little more nuanced than that, but then I came to First Baptist Church San Antonio, and uh, I began this new phase of my life in working with unmarried adults. And I began to see um, that there was this whole area of life the church's life that I had not even paid attention to. And you know what I'm talking about. As an unmarried person, uh, you, many of you, know what it's like to feel like you're invisible to the, to the church. And um, when, when, you, when all that you see and and know and experience the realm of referring to marriage, then you you can you know you feel out of place. You feel uh, perhaps like you don't belong or that you're incomplete. And I mean, how else would a person feel in that regard? And so, <clears throat> uh, I never, to my great shame, I never stopped to understand that. But I was forced to when I came here. Uh, because I began to live with this community of persons. And um, it's been the, one of the greatest things that, has ever, that I've ever had the privilege to do um, because it, 
it has, what, what it has done for me, what you have done for me, is that you've caused me to say um, the sexual reality exists for all persons and we all have to find our way within that reality, all of us. And it is, it is the height of arrogance to say to single persons, um, as long as you just don't do it until you're married, everything's going to be all right. That, is, that doesn't even answer any qu- that That answers zero questions that I've ever heard. In- it doesn't help one iota. Um, it actually didn't help me uh, before I married to deal with my inner life at all. Um, I mean, it was my inner life uh, regarding sex and the, the mysteries of men and women and so forth. It wasn't helped at all by, you know, stay pure, you know. Uh, so these questions, we've got to talk about them and we've got to understand um, how, to, how to deal well with uh, our our sexuality. So, uh, so I'm a learner as well, and we're all in this. So that having been said, let's look at these questions. What is, what should be, in your view, the church's priority with regard to sex, the subject of sex? Any, any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Mm. Go ahead. Okay. Ah. Oh, yeah. No, it makes sense. It, right, right. My... My son, in his studies of philosophy, has has um, t- we've talked about this very thing, and and what he says is that that there there should be chastity before and in marriage, um, and and it is that's that's a an older kind of an older uh, higher word than than what we think of as pure, you know, because we we think of that as a little bit either antiseptic or we think of it as sort of um, morally superior, you know, kind of thinking. But uh, chastity, um, when one is unmarried, chastity in marriage, because um, marriage is not a license for indulging uh, fleshly desires. It's not. Um, You were going to say something, Andrea? You had your... Yeah, well, ain't it the truth, sister? Uh, please, you're among friends. Speak freely. Yeah, you're coming at it from what it should not be. Yeah, yeah, okay. It should not, yeah, you're flipping the, the question, flipping the script. Yeah. Right. Well, consider, you're right, and consider this, Andrea. Um, Consider the, the fact that even Paul, I mean, Paul himself said um, that the ju- one of the primary justifications he did he gave for getting married was a concession. You know, he said, "Look, if if you're just if if your mind is going to go there and and you're just you just are um, a, a walking fountain of absolute misery, and you cannot." 
you cannot see any higher than your own fleshly desire. Just go ahead and get married, you know, and just do it and see if that makes you happy, you know. I mean, that's a rough paraphrase, but um, but he said it's it's better to marry than to burn. But that's a concession. That's not, you know, we don't we don't normally think of the marriage. The congregation is gathered for the wedding day, you know, and the minister comes out and he says, it's lovely to be here because these two young, fine young people are marrying rather than burning with lust. You know, I mean, so, but, but actually that would, that would be hewing pretty closely to, uh, one of the major reasons that Paul gives. So, I mean, he's not denigrating marriage, but he is he is saying kind of exactly what you were you were uh, getting at there, Andrea. Um, something else, Laura. Boy, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 And and so the question is raised: What what do we do with that? What do we do with that? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're back to square one. Square one. Y- yes. <laughs> right. Yes, Andrew. <laughs> you know, this may be longer than a three-week deal, uh, actually. I, I think we've I think we've been here for a week and a half already. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, Well, in practice, that's what it's sort of been like. We we just sort of slam the lid, you know. <clears throat> right, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, right, yeah. Any pick, take your pick of of television shows. Um, Super Bowl. You know what? I got to tell y'all. Somebody said the Super Bowl. I, I, uh, I, I. I have to remind me to tell. I, I need to tell some of y'all what what my, what my wife said uh, when we we have a family. You know, you have texting groups, and we have a family texting group. And she she <laughs> she texted out something because she got all she was kind of really all worked up about the the um, you know halftime show. You know, Shakira and and J Lo and all that. And and she was just stewing about that, and she said, "Well, I don't know. I, maybe I should. Maybe she should be here. Uh, but it's really, it just wow. It she outdid herself there. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll tell you what she said. All right, all right, all right, all right. She said they were they were talking. You know, I think my daughters were, and then she goes." She said, well, I think, and I just, just appeared on my phone, you know, and she said, well, I just think they, they, need to, they need to ditch the divas and the free porn show and bring back the American marching band. Yeah. And, and, and 
my youngest daughter, Faith Ann, said, that is the most mom thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And I told her, I, I texted back, I said, you have, you have outdone yourself on this one. And so, <laughs> no, really, that is the most okay boomer line ever. And, and now we just keep talking, I just keep saying, you know, well, if they'd just bring back the American marching band, we wouldn't have any, you know, and maybe that's, that's what we need to do in our churches to quell all this sexual desire. We just need to bring back the American marching band. Um, oh, we need to edit that out. Uh, okay. Before there's trouble at home. Um, but that is the most hilarious thing. But seriously, um, we are we we act like it it is not a problem. What's the problem? Just don't do it. What's the problem? Yeah. Right. Laura, that's exactly right. We've got we've got the the broken the the broken down mess at the other end, but I, um, that we're trying to address right that's exactly right which which is not the only demographic in sexual addiction by the way but that is what um, you know sort of the the most visible group but in fact we have a group that meets uh, a week once a week at First Baptist Church a men's group called men's freedom and it is a it's a 12-step group for sexual addiction, and I would highly recommend it. But there is there's nothing in between there, uh, and not just First Baptist Church. It's it's you know the Western Church uh, in particular. I don't I can't speak for the church in other parts of the world, but I can speak for the church in the West, or I can speak to it um, in, in that way. So uh, we we act. We don't, I think the problem, what I'm hearing from y'all is the church often doesn't correspond to reality. It, it creates its own artificial, it says, if you step into the fellowship of the church, uh, this is how it's done. This is how uh, you are to treat your inner life and so forth. And, yes. Yes. Ian. Ian, you you have that is well said. Um, It is a spiritual issue, everybody. It is. Uh, It is because we are physical beings and spiritual beings, there is this interplay of, of those uh, two dimensions. And it, it is spiritual. And I'll tell you, um, I alluded uh, to my own uh, tumultuous uh, time with um, sexual realities in, in my growing up years and my early young adulthood. I married when I was 25, and so there was, there, there were those years uh, before that. There was a lot of spiritual damage done in me, which I thought. And here's the thing, Ian and everybody, I thought the way I understood the church's teaching. I mean, and I was there every time the door was open. You know, I won Bible drill, you know, contests and so forth. Uh, so it, I was fully steeped in the culture of the church. So uh, what I thought was that marriage would just heal all that damage. It doesn't work like that. But you see, marriage was held up as something it was never meant to be to me, which is, an outlet and a healing agent. It's neither of those things. 
It's neither of those things. Yes. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Shelly. Mm -hmm. Oh, a absolutely. That's exactly right. And, and the, the church has the wisdom, the wisdom resources, at least, to speak to anybody regardless of the state of spiritual formation that the person is in. We have access and we have the ability to access <clears throat> those wisdom resources. But the problem is the church in the West, anyway, has often felt like it's already um, made the statements that it needs to make, and that that's the and so when when somebody, especially from outside of religious life, comes in and they go, what what they see is a very brittle uh, kind of uh, thing that that doesn't move and doesn't breathe according to reality, and it's just it's 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 weird. It's actually weird, um, and it's not very useful or helpful. And uh, let me say that the damage that was done, and, and I, of course I'm not alone in this, but in my own life, sexually, wasn't a healing agent and wasn't an outlet in the sense, you know, of, of this... Uh, you know, relief valve that would would absolve me of all problems. And um, because there was damage, it actually got worse. The damage just caused, you know, um, manifold problems that, um, you know, relationally. Uh, and, and, and that's worked itself out in various ways, you know. In, and this is, this is how... I mean, this, I'm telling a story that anybody could tell, but it is high time that we figure out what we're doing here as the church uh, with regard to sex. Now, um, having heard you talk like you have, uh, I, I'm, I don't think it would be any surprise to hear some negative uh, feedback on this, but how has the church done in helping you deal with the sexual dimension of life? It, did, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, and and there's a lot in that sound effect there. Uh, a lot in the, yes, Andrea. Uh, again, Andrea. Oh my gosh. Yes. What else did Kara say? <laughs> uh huh. Right, right. Oh, Richard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I get it. I, you know, if... 
Right. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. Well, now Richard, you, you don't believe it. Have you have you No, I mean, have you have you really looked into the matter? Okay. And you do not believe... And you know what he's talking about? He, Richard is talking about something called sublimation, uh, which is a, a concept that... And it is, it is largely talked about in Catholic circles. And the, by the way, the reason that it's talked about in Catholic circles is because the Catholics have, have a long and rich history of talking about celibacy. Now, it's no, that's not true. It's not true. I, I, I want us to. I was going to say, it's sullied by this, um, you know, recent uh, wave of of terrible, terrible sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is part and parcel of whatever religious tradition you can name. Southern Baptists have their own reckoning moment here. Um, the Catholic Church, uh, it's been the world it, it's been gripped by this because it's such a gigantic religious group. Um, I, I would say I would dare say that if other religious organizations were that large, it, we might see the same kind of, of numbers there. So, so we are, we have to be very careful there. We have to be very, and, and of course, you know, Baptist, uh, have some Baptist ministers uh, years ago, a few years ago, when this first started rolling out of the Catholic Church, said, well, if they'd let their priests marry, you know, it, it wouldn't have a problem. And they, you don't hear that said much anymore, you know. Now that uh, there have been in uh, religious traditions in which ministers do marry, so. But uh, at any rate, Catholics have a, a, a long and rich uh, history of talking about celibacy, and we we think of celibacy as just something that, um, you know, is a person who doesn't have sex. But it is actually an orientation of one's life, Godward for a season, or for a lifetime. Uh, and so, uh, one of the projects that I believe is absolutely necessary, and that I, I want to, in the, in the months and years ahead, I want to set my mind to, is helping, at least in this venue, and in, in, in this church, uh, helping us recover a that concept of how we may live uh, with one another in a state of unmarriedness for however long that needs to last, um, a season or a lifetime. Now, um, Richard is talking about sublimation, which is a concept that says that you can take, um, one, one may take the energy that is involved in um, sexual your sexual nature, and through the discipline of prayer and through the discipline, uh, the, the classic spiritual disciplines, and through mentoring and so forth, you can learn to, to shape that and use that energy in other pursuits. Um, now, Richard says, thumbs down on that. He does not believe that that is even possible. Okay, okay, yeah. Right. Well, and, and I, I don't know, and I'm a learner also, and so 
uh, we're going to touch on that just a, a in just a little bit uh, a little bit more. Yes, or. That's a great question. <clears throat> yeah. That's a great that's a great question. I had not thought of it in that way. Um, my my first response would be I think that there is a difference between the two and I think that inner you know and we could really get into the weeds here but uh, I I would think those sexual desire is not we, we think of it as one thing. I want to have sexual intercourse right now with this person. We think of it like that. But sexual desire is actually more multifaceted than that. And, um, and so, so anyway, I, I think we'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. Yes, Lucian, did you have something? Well, anything, I, I think that anything, I, I, I hear your point. I think that I, I would caution us to say that anything that is, that is aimed at the good of human flourishing um, is, is an attempt in the church to take care of God's persons. I mean, God created human beings. And so if we're going to say... What is good for human beings to pursue? Is, you know, serial uh, sexual escapades? Or is it good for them to pursue other things? You know? It's a good place to start sometimes. Yeah. Well, we're well. What is that? What does connected to God mean? It means what? Is, what does that mean in practice? Right, and that's that's why we think of things, and that's right, and that's our project. And that's what that's what we need to to be doing here. And I'm hopeful that we can come up with something. Yes, Andrea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yes. I think I think any any discussion of redirecting and and uh, transforming sexual energy is going to have to involve people who I think the Lord has given us who are already living in a life such as that. Like, like, well, yeah, I mean, some in Jesus, they're, they're living a life imitating Christ. Um, like, Jesus himself did that exact thing. And, and so we have, often the Lord gives us people who help us see Christ more clearly, and the light comes on, and we go, oh, this is how Jesus lived. Um, my friend Thomas Bell, who uh, spoke to uh, Midweek in the City in the summer, uh, came up through the college ministry here. He um, came to an understanding uh, 
of his a few years ago, and he is he is committing his life to living out uh, living out the orthodox teachings of the Bible with regard to sex. And this is what Andrea was talking about. And and I think the Lord says to Thomas, I think he says, "This is the way. You know, continue to follow me." Um, this this is exactly how this works, and I think uh, he's going to use Thomas to teach uh, many people, in, including us. So I think we have to include those voices as well. But Jesus Himself did it, and we're we're going to talk about actually Jesus in just a second. Um, but yes, there's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. God There is a that's that's right, Laura. That's exactly right. Holiness is the the highest call, and and it does mean set apart. It means uh, it means you you have a a uniqueness of purpose. Jesus and we, this is years ago. Uh, I made the mistake. I say mistake because I got. Uh, roundly uh, laughed at uh, for saying this and teased, but um, made the mistake of saying Jesus had a penis, and he did. And some of you remember, uh, uh, he had what we call a sexed, S-E-X-E-D, body. Now, do we often, we don't often think about that. We think, oh yeah, Jesus was a, uh, was a man, and by the way, still is. I mean, he, he did not leave his humanity behind. When he ascended, he is still the God-man, God-man, fully divine, fully human. Um, but in his physical body, uh, I mean, he had the male chromosomes. He had male has had has male genitalia. Now, what does that mean? What does genit What do genitalia mean? And this is. This is the radical shift that, that we're going to have to make if we're going to understand uh, how to live well with sexual reality. Sex means something. Bodies mean something. Genitalia means something. Um, they are, in fact, genitalia are, in fact, a sign they are a sign. Um, they, they communicate something. They are a sign of our incompleteness. Now, be careful there, because you, your mind jumps to um, Jerry Maguire, you know, that, that line from Jerry Maguire, you complete me, or whatever that was that's not what I'm talking about. We have we have completely missed the point there, and and the church has bought into this largely because it has fetishized marriage in many ways. Uh, we we say marriage completes a person, and so we we say okay. Therefore, the only way to be complete to be whole is to be married. Now, you will not hear that stated explicitly, but it is sort of an implicit kind of thing. And by the way, unwritten unwritten codes are the strongest codes, and you know this in your family. You know, everybody, every family has an unwritten code, and you know how to obey it. And, every, you know, so the church has 
largely in the West has this unwritten thing, marriage completes a person. Yeah, and I think that is, uh, yes, I, I am, yeah, well, baloney. Uh, that's, that's ridiculous. If it were, then we would be married in heaven. We're not going to be, and so, um, that, you know, so just, we, we have to realize, y'all, yeah, yeah, it gets all, it's a fairy tale, it's a fairy tale, um, friendship, friendship with God and friendship with one another is the highest call, and so uh, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a terribly wounding thing, terribly wounding thing to say marriage completes a person. But what happens is that our, our genitalia is, they are a, a sign that we are, that, that we are incomplete as an isolated being. And we long for fellowship. We long for intimacy. We long for community. We long for friendship. And, um, and that is not to sexualize friendship. That is, that is just to say it is, a, it is a sign that stands for the truth that we, are, <clears throat> we were created for fellowship. Now, it is a, it is, marriage is a good thing. Let's not denigrate that. Uh, it is a good, um, and it is, uh, and sex is a good thing. Sexual expression is a good thing, sexual activity in marriage, um, because it is the means by which the human race goes on. But we have, um, we have said genitalia are a sign that you need to be married. No, that is not true. That is not true. And so we have, we have said the only outlet is either uh, having, is some form of sexual expression. Um, and so there, you know, you get into the sort of the, the statement from this minister in the book, whatever the book was, like, you know, uh, the solution is masturbation, you know, or if you're not married, uh, or either, either marriage or masturbation, the two M's, you know, I mean, so what, what are we, is that the extent of our calling, you know? Um, let me say that, again, Jesus uh, was, was a human male walking around on this earth with male genitalia. It was a it spoke, his, his human body spoke of a longing for life together. This is, this is what he was echoing as he was sitting around the table with his disciples on the night before he died. I have eagerly desired to eat this supper with you before I die, before I suffer. It says, I am made for fellowship. Now, sometimes genitalia are used for procreation. And that, is, that is a proper use uh, for genitalia. But when, it, when, it, a, when a person refrains from sexual expression, genitalia are a sign, nevertheless, for um, for fellowship, and so they, they that is a legitimate purpose for genitalia. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. It is not better. In fact, I, I long for the day. When the church has a self-understanding that says we need strong marriages and we need strong singlehood. 
a, a church cannot survive if it just says we need strong marriages. It can't. Yes. Well, sex, sex itself is a longing for connection and intimacy. Well, friendship is intimacy in its, in its highest calling. It is not, but it is, it is, our bodies say we were created for, our bodies say we were created for fellowship. And sometimes that fellowship looks like sex, but it all, sometimes, but it always looks like intimacy. And that's what, it, it is a, our, our physical bodies and our genitalia are signs that we are not enough on our own. Hope. Let me answer that in two ways. The question is, when you're single and you desire satisfied with friendship, if that is the question without any qualification, I would say, this is the two-part answer, I would say, one, there is no desire there is no longing in the human soul that will not be fulfilled in our ultimate destiny. But second, <clears throat> if you in this temporal existence desire intimacy, can that desire be fulfilled with friendship? I'm, yes. I'm going to say yes. Now, you may disagree, and I may be wrong, but this is this is a this is a very serious matter, Hope. And um, what I don't want to say, what I what I what I absolutely do not want to say is, you need to lower your sights and just be satisfied with something lesser than marriage with sexual expression. Because, I, however, I'm talking about raising our idea of what friendship should be and could be. I still don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, hope. Yes. Correct. Correct. And this. You you said that. Why didn't you come up here and say that from the very beginning? That would have saved me a lot of words. You said that better than I could have ever said it. Now, you, you did everybody hear what she said? Um, <clears throat> you're, you're really answering your own question because it genitalia cannot then mean, if our bodies will be resurrected, that's how important they are, they're not just temporary throwaways. Our bodies will be, our actual physical bodies will be resurrected like Jesus's was. And so unless God yanks off our genitalia at the resurrection, which 
is pretty horrendous. I don't even want to think about that. Um, then, then we will have sexed bodies, and and I don't know how that I, I don't know how that uh, works. But I what I do know is this: that our sexualized our sexual features point to they they stand for they signify a longing for and and a and a necessity for community and fellowship because we are not enough alone we are not enough alone so bodies mean something and by the way this is why we are walking on the abyss of uh, the the edge of hell if we're going to turn a blind eye to abortion because bodies mean something mean something and they are extremely important so um we are i i don't understand all of i'm i'm just sort of trying to nibble around the edges here i i don't even i don't know much about about this yet I, i'm i'm learning you know and actually y'all are helping me yes mm-hmm. yeah exactly Well, that's what we're saying. How how do you transform sexual desire into pursuits that are life-giving instead of death-giving? Because lust is death-giving, death-producing. Yes, Laura. Yes. The end purpose of our bodies is not. I mean, it has a temporary purpose in some in some contexts for procreation. Yes. But our bodies are not purpose for sexual desires. One of the purposes of sexual of our bodies is sexual desire, or sexual desire has a purpose for our bodies, but our bodies are not made for us. Does that make sense? Well, our, our again our there, there is a temporary. There is a tempor- There are some temporary purposes that our bodies can fulfill to, to carry the human race forward. But I'm saying that our bodies weren't created exclusively for that purpose. That's right. Not exclusively. But that purpose is there, and it relates to our body, not the other way around. I think I'm following you. I think I'm following you. Yeah. So our bodies weren't made for that. The ultimate purpose of our bodies. The ultimate purpose of our bodies is to live, is to live in a community of loving, an, an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God as its center, as its most glorious inhabitant, as its, as its prime uh, life source and most glorious inhabitant. And, uh, you know, that's a life we'll be figuring out for eternity, really. But let me say this, and as we as we draw near to, if we're going to navigate sex well, the reality of sex, what we have to do is we have to recover a life-giving understanding of unmarriedness. And <clears throat> because our society is on life support, y'all. And the ones who could refashion the world are unmarried people. I, <laughs> I believe this more every day. Um, the unmarried people did it once. Um, when they created, when they helped create Western civilization, thousands upon thousands of men and women cloistered in monasteries and convents preserved knowledge and uh, healed the sick 
and raised children during a time when governments were completely incapacitated to do that kind of work on a large scale. And so therefore you have universities, you have hospitals, you have human rights. How did this happen? Christian men and women who were completely devoted to God and somehow, Richard, they were able to uh, sexual desire into the energy that was needed to do this world-changing work. Now, not all they weren't perfect by any means, and they stumbled and fell and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what else is new? But single persons and the church's understanding of that and the, the church's strengthening of people who are single for a season or for a lifetime and it is has it is going to save the day. I believe that. <clears throat> personally, you need personally you carry a lot of pain because you've been told that marriage is your heart's desire. And I'm not going to argue with it and say no it's not your heart's desire because I'm not you. But I do want to say to you, have you revisited that belief and have you said, is there another path for me? Um, and, and quite simply, it, it's almost painful to think of that because you don't want to believe it. And I, I, I'm not dictating to you what, what you ought to, what you believe and what you don't. What, but I'm saying a person doesn't more day and time, having been taught the way that persons have been taught in our churches. We don't want to believe that there's another path because we've been promised this bill of goods, and if we turn our back on that, it's second fiddle, second best, leftovers, you know, and and a life that is just sort of on the outside looking in. That's, that's, if that were the case, then you, we should not ever want to go to, to heaven. Um, because that is, um, that's the kind of life we will live in heaven, is a life of friendship with each other in deep intimacy and the church's job is to represent that here and now. But we're not teaching people to do that. And it is profoundly sad. And it's a disgrace, really. It's a sin, actually. Um, so what I would say is, um, can we imagine, can we imagine a different kind of life for unmarried persons, a force that the world has yet to see, fueled by the energy of desire and formed by the intimacy of fellowship. We need, that is to say, we need to develop a vision of what the unmarried life could be for the sake of the world. We do. And that's the project that I want to start out um, a long journey with y'all. Okay? But I challenge you right now to begin to develop a vision for what the unmarried life could be. Okay? Now, as we close out this time, normally we pray around tables with one another. And that's exactly what I want you to do if that's what you want to do. But there is another um, alternative, since this is Ash Wednesday. If you would like to receive what is called the imposition of ashes, which is a fancy way of saying you get ashes smeared on your forehead, uh, <clears throat> you can do that. I've got some ashes right here. And the purpose of this is to remember that you are finite, and that there is a great forgiver in Jesus Christ. He will take your failures and your sins and wash them away. That's what this is a reminder of. It is 
you are from dust and you will return to dust until the resurrection. And God will never lose track of you. Okay. And uh, it, it's a it's a great act of humility and rest in uh, Christ. So, you know, that may be too weird for some of you. If, if so, that's fine. Uh, but if you want to have the imposition of ashes, uh, just come on up uh, here. And-